0: Hi, I'd like to welcome you to the Anecdotal Notes podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Pat Aiken, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Steve Hyde. Hey, how's it going, guys? And last week, we uh, were discussing basically the the incident about Elkins Creek and the cast that was taken there. This week, what we'd like to do is we're going to continue talking in general terms about that, but we're going to talk about what happened in the post Elkins Creek cast world at least for us and kind of create um, for the listener a uh, sort of a documentary for the Georgia Swamp Eight Research Center a, a documentation so a person understands how this evolved and the evolution of what we did as investigators on the hills of the Elkins Creek cast discovery do you have anything
1: well I was uh Georgia Swamp Ape Research Center, or GSARC for short, as That's we used right. to call it back then, um, was kind of an extension, I guess kind of a natural extension, of, of getting the, the research and everything back. And I think actually a little bit before we actually got the paper back from Jeff Melton, and Junior Jilcutt, because what happened is, is then Pat and mine's friendship grew, and also there were a couple of other people that were mm-hmm. kind of involved at the time. And our friendship grew with them, and uh, the whole thing just kind of served to prod our enthusiasm for the subject. Because me, for for one, I had always grew up believing that it was pretty much, if you want to research Bigfoot, you're either going to go to the Pacific Northwest or maybe a couple of places in the swamps in deep Florida, or if, or if you're wealthy and can afford the plane ticket, to go out to uh, Tibet and Nepal right. and search for the abominable snowman. And of course, back then there was very little literature on the year end or the Yowie in Australia or any of the other uh, cryptids that, were, that are kind of grouped in the same lump as Bigfoot. But um, it was just, for, for my part, I was just so fascinated by the idea of discovering that Bigfoot was a country, as far as North America, a continent-wide phenomenon, not just restricted to one place. Right. And as a result of that, and because where the Elkins Creek incident happened was so geographically close to where I lived and where the other folks involved lived, that uh, we decided, so, well, if you know, if we want to get involved in this, this sounds like a lot of fun. We could, we could start our research here locally mm-hmm. and see where it would grow. Because, I mean, if we have what appears to be a genuine incident that happened very close to us. No, no need to go 3,000 miles. We can research right in our own backyard. And in my mind, that opened up a, a lot of possibilities, not only to just go out there and enjoy ourselves, which is always the, the first principle, right? but uh, to go out there and see what we can contribute.
0: Well, you know, I think in true rural fashion, at least on my part, right. I think my first notion was, well, if this thing's real, we can go out and we can get it. That's right. And, you know, perhaps, you know, I look back and I think, wow, how naive you were to think that you're just going to go out and uh, harvest this creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know,
1: when, I... When you think at the time, there was really no... When you, we sat and think of what we were doing at the time, you know, we, we were both devout flesh and blooders. That's right. You know, and we had no inkling to think that, well, I mean, if, if it is a living flesh and blood creature... I mean, it's it's really a game of chance when you think about it. I mean, if you guys read Grover Krantz's book, Big Footprints, he, went in, he goes into some length about, you know, what are the, if you go into the woods in any random place, what are the odds of finding anything? That's true. You know, and uh, if you look at the history of sightings of, of these creatures, whatever they may be, one thing that sticks out in you is that very, very rarely in, in any database will you find multiple sightings by one individual right typically what you what sticks out at you in the data is that if you're going to have a sighting of one of these animals by and large it's going to be a a once-in-a-lifetime experience I agree I mean you if you see it it pops out in front of you you hear it you see the footprints or anything whether it's because they're not entirely flesh and blood or whether it's because it's just rarity or, or sheer chance if you have some type of direct encounter, it's going to be that one time in your lifetime, and to repeat that is going to be extraordinarily difficult.
0: I mean, you're talking about odds like winning Powerball. Basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. I mean, yeah you by
1: lightning or yeah, That's, that's it's right. Just one of those far-off
0: odds. <clears throat> you know, I, I think the amazing thing to me when I say I was naive it, is the fact that, you know, I didn't, or, or actually, we didn't just launch into this without any research. Mm-hmm. We took the research, and we read the books. We, we, you know, chewed it over in our minds and said, mm-hmm. okay, well, this is the way we do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and the truth is, I mean, I know that it would probably offend people that, that our notion was to, to take a specimen, mm-hmm. but at the time, you know... And what else were you going to do? That's right. I mean, th- th- that's the thing is, right. is at the time, people basically said and and you know what still today Mm -hmm. any research university Mm -hmm. they're not going to accept anything but a specimen yeah type specimen that's right so it really hasn't changed in the real world of science they're Mm -hmm. still demanding this so common sense says okay well if we're going to prove that this thing exists and we got one here in our area Mm -hmm. we're going to have to go get a type specimen yeah And so we outfitted ourselves, you know, uh, did the whole deal with guns and uh, camping equipment. Mm -hmm. And we basically, although we did really, uh, I remember we really um, brainstormed about how to go about Mm
2: -hmm.
0: going into the woods. Because we were, you know, a lot of times I think on television you get food. Mm -hmm. The the listener, I mean, you're being presented a picture of someone who's Mm -hmm. going into the woods. Okay, well... There's a camera crew. Mm. There's somebody there running the camera with the person who's supposedly Mm. stalking the Bigfoot, okay? Anyone who's ever really stalk hunted anything, and Mm. I I used to do that in my youth. I mean, I I went through this phase where I wanted, you know, deer hunt, turkey hunt with a longbow. Got fascinated by the history of the Mm -hmm. longbow. I remember that. That's right. So, you know, I'm going out, and I... I'm wearing the soft soles and doing the whole deal, you know. And I promise you, listen to me. I promise you, stalk hunting wild game
1: uh-huh.
0: is not for the weak of heart. You you are going to come back to your vehicle. Yeah.
1: It's definitely not for the sloppy.
0: That's right. You, mm-hmm. you 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 will come back empty-handed way more often than mm-hmm. not. Yeah. I think I took one deer uh-huh. in the entire time that I did that. Yeah. Because the simple truth is they are so attuned to their environment mm-hmm. that you really, especially if the ground's against you, if you have leaf litter and, and those things, mm-hmm. they're going to hear you coming. Yeah. There's no way around it, even if you're trying
1: oh, to Lord. be stealthy. It's like our famous story about uh, our, our one research overnight on that promontory that one time. That's right. Out in the swamp, out there in Pike County, not far from Elkins Creek. Uh, we won't give the exact location, but... uh, Pat and myself and and two of our associates had decided we were going to do an overnight Mm -hmm. in in the deep woods in the the general area of Elkins Creek. It was some miles away, but it was still part of that entire uh, drainage basin that goes in the Flint River. And we had picked for our location uh, a fairly large, for, for middle Georgia hill, that had a promontory on the side of it that kind of stretched out into what was essentially swampland. And we were put we had put up our tents and I had a little uh, tent, a little four-sided, four window tent that I had kind of turned into a uh, observation tent by just basically cutting the mosquito netting out of the windows. And I, I had made a mistake in prepping this tent, which will which we'll figure a little bit later on in the story, but. At that time, this, it had not rained in some time. The swamp was extremely dry. Yes, it was. And we were set in the promontory at night. And we had stayed up till about midnight. We had one of those little coal and gas liners, I think, up in the yeah. branch one time. We were sitting around the campfire. We had some, I think we had, the, uh, had some food that was cooking down on the ground. We had done one of those the earth oven right. we had With debris. the aluminum foam. Yeah, and, and we had a few adult beverages and some other stuff. We're, right. s- we're sitting around the campfire and, and talking and now, keep in mind, uh, when you go out in the woods in the south, unless you are more brave than most normal people or foolish, you're gonna be armed. Yes. And all of us were packing uh, handguns and I happen to have a long gun that was equipped with night vision. Yeah, it was a first generation, one of those first generation, very uh, close quarter combat oriented uh, Russian model night visions, and it was extremely dry. The water in the swamp had receded quite far back, and it was one of those nights where it was very still. There was no wind. Yeah. And every little thing that moved in that swamp sounded like a rhinoceros.
0: That's true.
1: I mean there were pigs i mean the ho- hogs are everywhere in, in georgia i mean you just can't get away from them and uh, they were moving around us i mean they were snapping tweaks you know stepping on them and, and rustling around leaves and the uh, squirrels were jumping around in there and a gray squirrel could sound like an elephant in those conditions especially if you can't see it that's right
0: everything's magnified
1: everything's magnified and so anyway we had stayed up till about midnight we decided we we would turn in and everybody else kind of uh, went to their tents and just kind of crashed for the night. And I was going to stay up for about two or three hours, or as long as I could, with my night vision and just kind of peer out of my observation tent, just kind of see what I could see. Mm-hmm. And as as Pat had alluded to, we were a, 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 a pro kill at the time because I saw no way around it. Uh, organization as far as as evidence. So I had my rifle and my And I figured well if I got like a really good shot of something that I would take the shot but Mm other than that it was just observation and uh, well right before we had turned in I remember that we had started here moving around our perimeter right I
0: remember uh, that was the night of the ground
1: that was the night of the ground
0: and you know the thing is (coughs) you have to understand we had uh, at the time that we, we decided to eat. Mm. We had just gathered around a campfire yeah. and they pulled the food out. Mm. And it was time, you know. Yeah. We, we were eating It I'd say it was dark soon, about nine ish. Yeah. And we were eating, and once we had finished, we sat there and we were talking and we were listening because a lot of times any activity that takes place is <laughs> really 12 to 7 a.m. seems to be a magical To some reasonings for this, but the point is, is we're sitting there in the campfire. We had built it back up. It was nice and blazing. And suddenly, from within, seemingly the flame of the campfire, we hear a growl. And I mean, it was just absolutely the lowest, bone-shakingest, guttural growl that you could possibly imagine. And we all were startled. I mean, every single person at the camp. Like Steve said, Steve had
1: night vision. Mm-hmm. So Steve took his rifle and he I saw nothing. nothing.
0: It was I believe, at least in my evolution as a Bigfoot researcher, mm-hmm the beginning of my notion that we're dealing with something other.
2: Hmm.
0: Now, I know people have uh, said that this is a, a natural phenomenon, uh-huh. infrasound. Yeah. But i tell you the truth. This was not something that I felt. This was something that I heard. Hmm. Okay, and it seemed to be projected from some location in hmm. our proximity yeah. into the campfire. So that began a night of... Uh, like steve was describing before yeah on the heels of that we kind of broke up we kind of moved to different areas and
1: mm-hmm. well it was a, before we had even done that you know there was kind of an amusing incident um it looked it was frightening as hell back then but it's it kind of amusing looking back on it is is not long after the growl we started hearing something moving around the perimeters right. the and if you can picture in your mind, the promontory was kind of like a little finger of land that, that protruded out of the side of this hill. It was fairly flat, and then it ended, and then the promontory, just the land just kind of sloped down into swampland at all sides of this finger, except for directly behind us where the hill was, and there was a fire break
0: That's right. that
1: we had brought our vehicles down, and it was parked maybe 75 yards maybe behind us, maybe, dead. yeah. Well, we heard this thing moving around. And it sounded large, and it sounded like it was moving on two feet. Now, keep in mind that a four-footed animal, if it's moving slow enough, sounds like two-footed animal. That's right. So, and we were looking around, and, of course, we only had the one little lamp up there. And, of course, it, it only sees a couple yards, and then it just turns into blackness. And the funny thing about those little Russian night visions is that you don't appreciate what a, what a very small field of view you have looking through one of those things until something's coming up on you, and you're waving the thing around frantically trying to see something. That's right. Just, you know, like all that. Cause, right. Because yeah. you only yeah. see like yeah. this little bitty patch. Just of, dot. Yeah, yeah, just dot of, of area in front of you. And I couldn't see anything. Now, also picture that immediately behind where we had our tent set up, there was a large pine tree that had mm-hmm. grown on the promontory. That's right and lightning hit it or it got diseased or something but anyway it died and it fell over it snapped off pretty much at ground level and had laid literally perfectly over from the stump down the prom side of the promontory into the swamp so it's basically just this large probably two foot or two and a half foot diameter log that was just laying from the middle of the top of the promontory behind our tents down into the swamp (coughs) okay well we were up there close to this, the end of this log and we're frantically running around and we're thinking oh my god, it's Ape Canyon over again. They're fixing to get us. Right. And this thing kept going and kept coming toward us and kept coming toward us and it was just crunch, crunch, crunch because it was it was very dry. I mean every leaf you touch just, just crunched right under. And it was coming toward us and coming toward us, and everybody's frantically, like, waving pistols around. So they're asking me, do you see it? Do you see it? And I don't see anything. I'm <laughs> just waving this thing around. I don't see. And it's it's almost like that Aliens movie where the aliens are coming in on the ceiling of the room. They said, well, it can't be us That would be in the room. you know."
2: Right.
1: And I still couldn't see anything. And, and we're yelling at each other. We're moving around, trying to cover. Everybody's trying to acquire targets and everything because we knew that the apes were fixing to get us. And suddenly I just happened to have my rifle pointing right around the area of the end of that log where it was laying on top of the promontory. Right. And suddenly I see bolt right in front of me, this kind of foot-wide yellowish-greenish blob, because everything looks greenish when, when you're looking through the, the, the site. And it just went from my left all the way, just shot across us and went screeching out into the thing. And when I saw it, I immediately knew what it was. It was a Bobcat. <laughs> yeah, that. And what it had done is it was sneaking around looking for food. I don't know why I couldn't why i never responded to, to all the noise we were making, but it was coming up the other side of that log from us, and it was sneaking, and it didn't realize what was going on until it cleared the end of that log and saw us. And I tell you what, until I saw that thing, I was, I mean, I was literally so scared I had trouble breathing. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we're, this, you know, this, the Patty's fixing to get us. (laughs)
0: The thing is, there's an atmosphere that occurs. If you ever get really close in the presence of these things. Uh It's a different different feeling. Something happens to us that's yeah. uh, a biological thing. Yeah. And, you know, I've often wondered, I've noticed over the years in many different cases I've investigated that animals begin to act weirdly. Mm-hmm. They they do strange things yeah. that one of these things is yeah. around. And I've often wondered about the story you told. You know, perhaps the bobcat wasn't necessarily uh, trying to avoid us. Yeah. Maybe
1: Just uh, getting away from something else.
0: Yeah. Maybe
1: yeah. there was something else there because I remember yeah. earlier. It was it was because g- it was very odd behavior because I never, t- you know, because we were yelling and hollering and and breaking leather and waving around and and we were making our own noise in that ground stomping around on those leaves. That's right. And it was still coming toward us. Yeah. And normally most animals, you know, would have seen all that because I mean it was light up there which is was already looked strange to an animal. And, but it just kept on going until it had till it had no choice but to go by us, and then it just took off in the streak. But
0: I'm, Perhaps he was relieved that we were up there making all that noise. Maybe it's so. Drawing the attention of something else away from him. Yeah,
1: because it, it was very unusual. I
0: remember. I don't it know, was
1: obviously more worried about something else than it was about us.
0: I remember at one point we actually heard something clinking around up at the truck. I remember going up there and everything was okay at the truck, Mm -hmm. you know, but we heard definitely like something had either because the tailgate on that truck was a little bit loose. So if you leaned against it, it would make a noise. Yeah. You know, I remember going and checking that and getting back down there. Yeah. Uh, And this is all post uh, the growl event. Yeah. Okay. The Bobcat is post. With the, the time grass. of the ground. Yeah. So we're talking about a time probably ranging from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Uh-huh. Now, once that had taken place, and once the bobcat incident happened, it suddenly got really quiet, if you mm. remember. I remember, you know, we, we were sitting there. We did have a pair of owls come in mm. at one point, and yeah. they, they started chattering a little bit. But uh-huh. then they fell quiet.
1: Yeah.
0: And it was... During that time that everybody just kind of retreated back to areas because you were going to sit in the blind out there on the very tip end of the promontory. Mm. And we were essentially, I guess, I I don't know, I think we were going to kind of act as backup. Yeah. Perchance, you weren't able to... uh, Drop this thing yeah, because I remember the, the
1: other two associates of ours, they said they had over-imbibed a little bit, so yeah. I think they were, they were they had pretty much taken themselves out of the action by the time they went in their tents.
0: Yes, so again, <laughs> it was really me and you, but they, I, I do remember <coughs> that we were uh, there, and mm-hmm. we stayed, and it did fall deadly quiet. Every once in a while, mm-hmm. you would hear, like... Uh, three or four quick footsteps mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. It would be enough, but th- these weren't animals. I mean, I've grown up, you know, in the south in the woods, mm-hmm. you know, uh, had to do overnights by myself growing up and things yeah. like that because of, you know, yeah. social organizations and mm-hmm. different things, yeah. you know, so I'm not an, uh, a complete alien to roughing it or being out in the woods. So we would hear stuff. now. You know, I'm always a skeptic about this and I was like, Well, you know, you'll never know who might have seen us go in and now they're down there yeah looking to rob something out of the truck or see yeah. what we're up to. But of course and of
1: course there's all the wildlife too. I mean True. there's there's the hogs that I mentioned that are everywhere in Georgia. We got a coyote infestation, we got feral dogs, cats, we've yeah. got you know, the occasional bear because one of the things about Georgia is it has three, as I recall, thriving black bear populations. Mm-hmm. One in North Georgia up in the hills, one down in the Okefenokee, and one actually in Middle Georgia in the Piedmont yeah. region. That's right. And we were where we were is very close to that Piedmont area.
0: Yeah. So the night wore on, and probably had to be 5, 6 in the
2: morning.
0: Mm. I remember again this uh, sense of dread came over me Mm -hmm. and by that time it had gotten cold so I had kind of wrapped up and pulled into the tent a little bit and left the flap up and I could I remember being barely able to see your silhouette Mm -hmm. but it was that part of the morning where it's just getting light Mm -hmm. and I had the weirdest sense that something had come through the camp. Uh And I remember being kind of frozen and not being able to move. And y- then you said, and, and I remember you talking about this through the night vision, scope. Uh-huh. of, you know, I'm going to let you fill that in. Yeah.
1: Um, so anyway, af- after all the excitement of the night had kind of waned off and we had turned the light off and all decided to turn in, you know, our the, the other two associates crawled into their tents and pretty much went unconscious immediately. And then uh, Pat went in his tent, and then I went in my observation thing. Uh, I had this It was about midnight when we did that, and I sat in there for a couple of hours and, and a scene, had seen some wildlife. I mean, you could go down there, and I was using the active night vision that had the little infrared light bulb on the top. So if you were looking at me from out in the woods, and if I was looking directly at you, you would see this little red dot of the active infrared. And so, the nice thing about it is that if you're looking through the site, that little bitty red dot is like a floodlight, I mean it just throws a tremendous amount of of infrared light out there. And you can see reflections from eyes and and things like that. And you can scan around and you can see wildlife in there, I mean you see the occasional possum or the raccoon or or maybe what might have been a coyote or maybe a hog or two way out in there or or an owl or something. And for a while it was actually, you know, except for that kind of very quiet sense of foreboding, Mm you know, the woods at that time were actually kind of peaceful.
0: Let me explain that. He said, and I think you described it in a good way, it's, you're there, but you know, Mm -hmm. you're not alone. Yeah. That's... The only way I can really describe that is you yeah.
1: know that something it's a is surveilling yeah. you. Yeah, and, and it's not simply the feeling of like you get like when you're in a place and and you just suddenly get the urge to look over your shoulder and you discover somebody was looking at you. Right. It's a uh, it's it's one of those it's difficult to describe. But the best way I could put it is it's like all of a sudden there's some in your mind there's like a sense of anticipation that something's about to happen yeah. and it feels strange to you because you don't know what's originating it it's like you're sitting there and all of a sudden uh, something okay i feel something's about to happen and, and but why what well, i mean is what what's going on i mean it's this is, is 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 do i feel like something's about to reach in the window and grab me or is you know the why? You know what's about to happen is—it's a very odd feeling to have, and it's an even
0: diff- it's more difficult a, feeling to
1: des- to, to describe. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you feel some intent somewhere, and it's kind of directed at you. But it's like, okay, it's not really that kind of eyes on you in a shopping mall kind of feeling. Right. It's a—it's very animalistic feeling.
0: Yeah. So it's like, oh, you know, I remember a scene in a movie with um, uh, Anthony Hopkins where he's a billionaire. Yeah. And they crash in the Alaskan wilderness mm. and a bear, a grizzly bear, starts chasing them. Yeah. Well, the closest I can approximate to the feeling is at one point in the film, he goes down to a creek and he looks up
2: mm.
0: and there's the bear that's mm. been trailing them. Yeah. and they Their eyes lock. Uh. And it, it's just like you understand and know that there's something out there and this thing intends you harm if it can.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, for whatever reason. Yeah.
1: And it's like that feeling, but without the eye lock. It's just, that right. It's just that you just kind of feel it. It's a predator. A predator yeah. is near you. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, just other than that, though, just looking out there, I couldn't see any, any direct evidence of a threat. I mean, you could right. look around there, and, and I am here, so well, I mean, I've got a 308 caliber rifle here with a 20-round 20, 20 clip, and night vision on there said, well, I mean, if something's going to, you know, and I've got clear, and I position myself on that promontory where I've got clear field of, of fire down right. all into the swamp. So if if something's going to come after me, it's going to have to come into open ground up against me, and he's going to be wearing at least ten of these slugs before he can get sure. to me. So I'm saying, so well, okay, well I'm I'm feeling. He's going to the Bufa I'm, I'm,
0: ER. Yeah, I'm, yeah, he's, yeah,
1: he's he's, he's it's going to be an unpleasant experience for him as well as me. I'll right. put it that way. But anyway, I'm I'm sitting here, and and it gets on about 3 o'clock, and um, I'm uh, kind of scanning around. And one of the mistakes I made in in preparing my little observation tent was that it's basically a regular camping tent. It was four-sided. had windows in all four corners, which is great for observing, except that I forgot to remove the plastic floor. Mm -hmm. And what would happen is every time that I changed position, it was like somebody scooting on a tarp. You could hear it. So I was kind of giving away the fact that I was moving around inside my tent. So I had become conscious of that, and I was trying to, whenever I was positioned, either I would try to go through and, like, really rotate around this way where I wouldn't have to scoot, or I would just have to, okay, this is a good moment, nothing's around, so I'm just going to scoot. Right. Okay, nothing happened. Just kind of wait for things to kind of, because any noise like that alerts any wildlife that's around you. So, and I'm sitting here and all of a sudden I'm scanning along if I'm looking out the promontory out in the swamp to my right, I just sort of slowly scan out the window to my right. And suddenly kind of behind a very small kind of tree that didn't have a, is almost like a sapling, maybe five or six feet high. Right behind it was a silhouette that I could only describe is if you can imagine the subject of the Patterson film, if you were not looking at it from the side, but the, toward the end of the film, if you were looking at it d- directly at its back as it was walking away, and if you mm-hmm. if you remember that, that little short film clip, right at the very end of it, before the film cuts off, you're basically looking directly at the back of the creature as it's walking into the, the woods. If you can imagine, like, from the tip of the, sp- the back up, and maybe 25, 30 yards away from me because it was, it was a very low-power scope. It was only like two or three-power scope that I had, and it was filling up the whole scope, the top of it. If you can imagine that silhouette of what looked like the creature, and, I mean, I could tell. I mean, it, I could even see the make-out what looked like the texture of the hair. I could see, like, little swirl patterns right. in it. and I could see the arms the shoulders I could even see a swell right here of the deltoid muscles and uh, the the trapezius and I it went he didn't have an indentation for the neck he just went up his neck at an angle then up the head and like a very short the only way I could describe it is that classical very short sagittal crest right right there Going to pause it. Okay. Right, sorry, that was the NSA calling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyway, and I was looking at this, and it was one of those things where my brain was telling me I was seeing something, but at the same time, another part of my brain says, oh, "You're full of crap. You know? You're not, it's, it's, kind of, it's like all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're looking at something, and your, your synapses just kind of widen. <laughs> no signals are getting across it. you're just kind of freezing. And I'm sitting there looking at it, and it's not moving. I mean, it's literally it's not moving at all. And I'm sitting there, okay, well, that sure looks like the outline of of something really weird. And I'm sitting here and my, 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 my thoughts are I'm, the, the initial shock of it is starting to wear off a little bit, and I'm starting to think again. And I'm looking at it and it says, okay, that's weird. Why am I not seeing any eye shine? Mm-hmm. Because my infrared is active. I've got that infrared still on. It's, it's throwing a light all over there. I can see through the scope. And I've, I've been seeing eye shine of like small mammals like you know, way out in the swamp. But there's no eye shine in this thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's literally just, just the outline. It's, it's almost like somebody took like a, a black cardboard cutout and just yeah. set it behind this tree. And that's what I'm looking at. So I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it, and I'm sitting, literally sat there for a good seven or eight minutes, I mean just solid. And when you're in that position where you're, where you're looking at something intently, you're sitting very still. That amount of time is actually quite a long time. Right. And I'm looking at it, and this thing's not moving, I'm not moving. I was, well, maybe I'm playing tricks on it. And then I got the thought that maybe it was one of you guys that had gotten up and go down here to take a leak or something. Right. And then I because I, I was thinking so well maybe I'll take a shot at it because it sure looks right but then I got the self-doubt said well what if that's Pat down right. there you know just you know getting up to relieve himself or, or one of the other guys And so I said, well I, I can't take that chance Now I was right next to your tent and the other we were right there together and if one I knew that if one of you guys had gotten out of your tent I would have heard it right. but then you know I couldn't take that chance Sure. So I said, well, okay, I'm going to scan around a little bit and just go around here and see what else is around. Then I'm going to come back to that spot. And that's what I did. And I just literally, a few seconds, just out the other window, then came back to it and looked down there and it was gone. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Now, I thought that maybe I was looking at the back of the creature Mm -hmm. instead of the front. And I was thinking, well, if I was looking at the back of the creature as close as it was, I mean, I was directly at the back of it considering this line of travel it would have had to have come through our camp and I said well well, that's I don't know because I didn't really hear anything you know because and um, I was thinking about maybe sometime after the incident thinking back I said well you know I think what happened is that right before I scanned over there I had shifted my weight and I made some noise on that plastic floor in that tent Mm -hmm. and I think that whatever Mm -hmm. I was looking at if it was what I I still to this day think it it might have been, it had snuck through our camp Mm -hmm. very carefully and walked through and was walking away. And then when it heard me move, it just froze. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, there's something moving right behind me. Do they see me? Am I in danger? Just animal reaction. And uh, I think it just, once I moved away from it and it figured maybe just a coincidence that it... That's the time it picked to to, move away and just well, finally I mean, disappear.
0: I'm telling you, I mean, you know.
1: But but uh, to this day, in the last 20 years that have transpired, I've, I've always thought in my mind, what if I would have taken that shot? What would probably, have happened?
0: I don't know. We probably would have toted a, a pretty good ass whooping if uh, there had been more than one of them. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I will say I know that I definitely th- th- was given the impression. I was... I was, you know, I'm not gonna lie to the listener, yeah. I was dozing in and out. Yeah. But at one point and it was very early, I remember this definite feeling that something had come very close by Uh where I was laying on the ground. Yeah. And had gone through our camp. Yeah.
2: Because I had that fear again. Yeah.
0: You know. and, and like I said I'm not trying to overemphasize that but I'm just saying yeah. for anyone who's out there that's listening you know you're going to know if this is real or not mm-hmm. because if you're really ever in proximity to one of these things mm-hmm. there's something that is awakened in the primordial you yeah. that you can't mistake mm-hmm. you know I, I, I imagine it's like a, a gazelle feels about a lion Yeah. or you know I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's indescribable. It's almost like a cross between an adrenaline rush, yeah. But the most frozen, stark feeling of fear that you possibly
1: could have. Yeah, it's a—it's such a primal feeling too. Right. It's just—it's all of a sudden you're—you're you're suddenly feeling what you know a squirrel feels maybe when the owl's looking at it or something. You know, it's just. Right. It's just that—that that sense of. Oh, crap. You're, You're on the menu. Yeah, I'm on the menu. Wow. Maybe here's where it ends, you know.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's seriously that impactful to a person's psyche. hmm You know, it's still related. On two trips, a day, and this is, I really stopped after the second incident. I'm going to relay. These are quick. But I stopped doing the solo stuff after this. Mm-hmm. The first, I was with another person, and we packed probably 10, 15 miles into an area that I'm fairly positive hadn't been explored and, you know, since the time of the Creek Indians being here, the Creek Nation. Um, got down there, and it had rained, and it was kind of flooded in an area. And I remember off of a, a hill, a little promontory like you were talking about, there was a set of footprints you could tell, but they were sunk. We were, it was muddy ground, and, and I'm not a small person. It was probably larger than. Uh, I might have sunk an inch in the ground. These were sunk in like three inches, and mm-hmm. they were also huge footprints. Mm-hmm. They were like 14, 15 inches long, but they really weren't castable. Mm-hmm. And they just walked down this hill, and we measured the stride uh, path per foot was 72 inches. Mm-hmm. And just walked out into the flooded area and disappeared. Mm -hmm. Well, we were way back. We didn't bring casting material with us, so there was no way for us to record this. So at that point, I said, well, uh, you know, obviously, there's something going on here. Mm -hmm. This is not my imagination. There's something happening. Uh, A few months later, and this was in the dead of the wintertime, and I had a few days off, so... I did that I packed in I said I'm gonna go further back there was a place that was supposed to be way back there uh, that was kind of an island that the uh, creek went around both sides Mm -hmm. and according to the topographical maps this this place was like you know the center of this swampy area so it's in any direction probably 15 miles 20 miles away from any kind of population I go back (laughs) there I get there And again, I'm thrilled, Uh, you know, oh, look, some footprints. But this is what stopped me. And this is what really altered uh, my reality. And the only way you can understand is when you encounter some of this stuff is that your perception of what is concrete and real shifts on you. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you're faced with, you know, questions about, you know, you know, is what I believe true? Yeah, because I'm seeing this with my own eyes, I can touch it I know this is here I'm not making this up Mm -hmm. you get back there and it wasn't a long, it was a short little trail but it ended in the middle of what I would call like a little glade it probably wasn't much bigger than 20 by 20 and it was like it just stopped right there Mm. well you know, I was like, okay the ground on the other side in the the track path was just as soft
2: mm-hmm.
0: as the area where the, the the track path had led to the point where it stopped. So I started and did a concentric circle, a spiral out from it, looking at the ground, looking for sign. I never found anything, and there was there was not like he went into a boulder field mm-hmm. like they have out west in the Rocky Mountains where the you don't really leave much sign. Mm-hmm. Then we're talking about a muddy Georgia swamp, mm-hmm. and it just ended in that pay, that place. And from that point onward, I said, you know, I just really need to chill out, going out by myself, mm-hmm. and maybe I need to enter my uh, contemplative period mm-hmm. of Bigfoot research for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I know you know people can believe this or not,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but. The point I'm just trying to make is this, you know, as late this is, uh, well, when this airs, it's going to be uh, into April. Yeah. But as late as March of last year, mm-hmm. I was at a, a grocery store in a little town called Woodbury, which is on the western side of the Flint River. Uh, and I was very at,
1: similar to Mayberry, i may add. Well, uh, <laughs> sorta, of, yeah,
0: uh, but. I went in, running into the store, pick up something to take home. And uh, there were two farmers there. Mm-hmm. And they were talking, they were they knew each other, they were local, they mm-hmm. were from the area. Mm-hmm. And one gentleman was complaining, he said, you know, something's been getting my rabbits and my chickens." <laughs> and, like, you know. There we go again. And yeah, <laughs> right, and I, I was just like, you know, I didn't say a word, I was mm-hmm. just, I just stood there. Waiting in line to, to check out, you yeah. know. And they continued talking, and he's like, You know, the, the I remember the other farmer said something to the effect, Well, you know, it's probably a coyote or a fox. Well, no, he said, No, 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 no. He said, I think this is a human.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And of course, I picked up that, you know, uh-huh. and started really focusing on what he said. He said, You know, something, you know, somebody can open and shut the door. Uh-huh. He said, They've been leaving the door open when they take a rabbit. They just leave it open, and they just take the rabbit. Hmm. And of course, he's you know he's naming off these likely suspects. You know yeah. he thinks this could be happening and that. And you know what? He could be right. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, where he described or whatever, I know the, the general lay of the land. Uh-huh. And guess it, what? It backs up to it. Backs up to the Flint River.
1: Yeah, naturally.
0: So, <laughs> naturally. So you know, I'm sitting there, mm-hmm. and You know, in my mind, I'm saying, hmm, that's interesting. Then, Mm -hmm. again, anecdotally, Uh through a third party who I won't name, they they tell me that a person has seen Mm
2: -hmm.
0: one of these creatures in a location which is 20 miles just further south Uh on the Flint River from where I was, say, at the bridge at 74. Mm -hmm. All right, so, you know, we're talking about now a span 20-plus years, Mm -hmm. and you've got activity taking place. And the activity takes place all up and down the Mm -hmm. Flint River in Georgia. You know, uh, recently I drove Dr. Lynn uh, with me, and we we went down to uh, Torreya State Park, Mm -hmm. uh, down in the uh, north end of Florida over there, Mm -hmm. over towards the panhandle of Florida. Mm -hmm. Because probably some of the best Bigfoot footage to date that I've seen at least appearing to be the kind of creature that I imagined, you know, was like in the Patterson Gimlin film. Mm -hmm. A gentleman took some infrared footage down there in that state park, and I saw it and I said, uh, wow. You know, maybe I just need to go down there and look at it. And The interesting thing is, Mm -hmm. is that they call that the the hills or the mountains of Florida. It's very similar topographically to the Pine Mountains here in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Butts up against the Apalachicola River. Mm You know, in fact, it was just like looking at a, a, a Florida version mm-hmm. of that general area, in the Pine Mountains, mm-hmm. and you know where we're at. So, it, you know, is there some um, credibility to the notion that we have a population of these creatures? And I just I just can't buy into the notion that we've got. You know, y- you hear people on the internet and. It, it, you know, I've listened to some other people and it's like, you know, they talk like they have herds of buffalo. Like, yeah. like, there's a herd, there's a 40 squatches that, that are on my place. And, yeah. You know, they thunder across the hills. Yeah. it's like, well, did you, can you get a little mm-hmm. one? You know, no, that would be breaking the taboo. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's oh, like, yeah. okay, so you have a thundering well, herd. So it's
1: it's like, uh, I remember in, in, in Grover Krantz's book, you know, he just, he had, in his book, he had mentioned he thought about a, a population of about 2,000 that was like all over the North American continent, wow. which if you consider the kind of, of land mass that is, I mean, that's that's a very low population density, to, to put it mildly. And I think even early on in his investigations, he, he thought it may be as low as 200, because I remember seeing an interview with him about that. But when you consider that, you know, even a, an average black bear, I mean, if he gets motivated, like if he's hungry and, has, and food sources are scarce, you talk about an animal that can cover multiple states.
0: What?
1: So So uh, when you think about that, you know, an animal with a low population density that's nomadic, it's moving constantly in search of food. You know, an animal could come through a certain location that may not see another animal for another 10 years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It may be one of those situations. But I, I did want to make a, a a point as an investigator, and, and Pat brought this up in his in relating his story in an indirect way about your experience uh, seeing those footprints mm-hmm. out there and how it made you feel and how it made you think.
2: Yeah.
1: One thing I, I did want to state is my own exp- is, and I think Pat will will echo this in my own ex- experiences as an investigator in interviewing people on this phenomenon and actually any odd phenomena if you're investigating a UFO sighting or any other strange occurrence one thing you'll notice for somebody who's telling a genuine who is relating to you a genuine experience versus something that they're making up is when you talk to somebody who has genuinely experienced a sighting of something strange one thing you will definitely come that they will definitely give you the impression of is that they experienced something that changed their world view.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like if you're talking to somebody who genuinely saw an eight-foot-tall ape bound in front of them on a, on a forest trail someplace, you will definitely get the situation, you'll definitely get the feeling from them. They will convey it to you, maybe not directly in words, but you'll definitely get the feeling from look from talking to them that they experienced something that genuinely shook the very foundations of how they believed the universe worked. Yep. Because when you out there and you don't think that there's any such thing as an eight-foot-tall ape and then suddenly you see one, mm-hmm. or if you don't think there's any such thing as little green men or UFOs and suddenly there's one that shows up in front of you close enough to, that you can tell that it ain't no comet. That affects people in a way that fundamentally alters their view of the universe, and that carries with it a load of emotional baggage that will come out when you interview people who have had genuine experiences in a way that it will not if somebody's telling you a story.
0: Well, you know what? I never discussed it with you guys because you know we were we were raised uh, in a different generation from today. Yeah, we, definitely. We didn't. Uh, You know, Uh man didn't cry in public. Yeah, man kept his, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, you know, uh, I'm not going to say I've ever cried about this, but I will say this: that for years afterwards, on occasion, and it's still, it's very rare. It's pretty rare now because a lot of time has transpired. Mm -hmm. But I find myself in that creek, looking up. And with that that same sense mm-hmm. of fear yeah and like I said it's subsided over the years
1: yeah but well, time will do that right yeah. and, and thank God yeah
0: because you know it, the first few years afterwards it was very intense mm-hmm. and you know you're left grasping for explanations mm-hmm. and I think that's why people you know jump into this is because, they're just trying to make sense mm-hmm. of what they've been presented. Yeah. You know, I I've all, I have become. I wasn't always such a proponent of Jungian uh, psychology, but mm-hmm. you know, the thing about synchronicity is the notion that life is made up of a series of meaningful events. Mm-hmm. And you know, what does this mean,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and why? Of, of all the people, especially me, as someone who I just really didn't, you know, you know, I wasn't sitting around a house with yeah. bigfoot dolls. Yeah, well, it's,
1: it's it's like you know, you bring up Carl, Carl Young. You know, another thing he was famous for is the concept of uh, mile of what do they call it. Uh, they're like milestones in life. Um, I just had the word in mind.
2: <laughs> I had
1: another senior moment. Mm. Uh, Archetypes. Archetypes. Yeah, that's right. That he was very famous for that. And, and an archetype is just one of those things that it's sort of like a, a common experience of humanity mm-hmm. that occurs in everyone's life or most everyone's life at certain times where it's just one of those universal human experiences that kind of transforms you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, you know, let's consider a UFO person. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people say, well, especially the contactees, okay? That's mm. the first thing,
2: yeah.
0: is not necessarily somebody... I don't think a person would be as affected if they saw an unexplained light in the sky, but a person who's suddenly confronted with something that appears to have come from a, a spacecraft it yeah. appears to be alien to this planet. Yeah, A lot of the emotional reaction that I've read about and that people have described, mm. similar sort of thing. They have yeah. episodes of, like post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. and they find themselves freezing up for no reason or yeah. you know emotions that they feel a certain way but yeah. but they're really not feeling that way. It's yeah. like someone's emotions have been placed upon them someone else's yeah. emotions. So you know and,
1: and, and even even that just the, just the more normal reactions to a traumatic event like you know PTSD or you know nightmares is, is another common thing. You know, just you're going to sleep, and also it's like a repetitive experience. Every time you go to bed at night, you're, you're reliving the experience in a nightmare of one form or another. Right.
0: Well, you know, the thing that helped me was writing about it, yeah. and uh, that would be some of the very first strong advice I would give a listener. If you've experienced something like that, you know, don't sit and attempt to internalize it, okay? You don't have to share it with the world, but you may perhaps be benefited by sharing it with yourself by writing it down on paper.
1: Yeah, like a private diary or something That's like that. That's right. Nobody else has to see but you.
0: That's right. Just get it out of yourself and, you know, deal with and confront the situation that, okay, I had an experience. Well, okay. Like, you know what? You're not alone. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, people are going to hate on you anyway, mm-hmm. you know. Billy Graham just died. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, people were hating on Billy Graham. Oh, yeah. You know, Billy Graham, I mean, was as clean-cut a person as you could possibly imagine, at least what I know of Billy Graham. But there were still people Mm -hmm. who found fault with Billy Graham. Okay, so don't, you know, just take it in stride. It's part Mm -hmm. of the human condition. Yeah. You know.
1: Only you see through your eyes. That's right. That's the way to think about it.
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know, you know, we... (laughs) We're faced with so many different strange things, and and that's the entire point of what Steve and I are going to pursue in this podcast. You know, we, we don't claim to be the most professional. We don't claim that we're going to be really super fancy, but what we are claiming is that we're going to be intellectually true. We're going to be honest about, you know, what we've experienced, what we've seen. And hopefully work as a platform for other people to, to be able to work through some of this stuff and help solve this puzzle that we've all been presented as a human being, as a species of on this planet, you know, in the cosmos. It's just amazing the things out there that people don't understand. You know, we haven't even gotten into ghosts. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, there's a world. I don't I know many people. Who've had experiences with otherworldly spirits?
1: Yeah, I've had my own experiences.
0: Oh, well, yeah, there, you, there you go. Yeah, and we'll—I
1: mean, we'll—we'll we'll discuss those in another podcast. But. Um. I was trying to my train of thought derailed again. I, I'm I'm having a lot of senior moments today. I'm, I'm finding. the subject?
0: Well, you know, uh, hey, <laughs> you get a certain age. You know, hey. anybody who's a contemporary out there, you understand that. That's right. Right. You know, <laughs> life takes its toll on you. Yeah. You know. Well, I think we're going to draw it to a close. But I would like to say that you know we appreciate the listenership and the response we've gotten on the website. We appreciate. Uh, the emails and stuff that we've gotten and we'll probably I uh, mean in the near future as we polish this thing and we get better and better we'll uh, maybe have a mailbag or we'll have something where we can hear from you and I don't know you know uh, I thought about adding a forum to the uh, website but that's kind of unfortunately we live in the age of trolls mm-hmm. and you know uh, I have a lot. The
1: internet's a very dark place unfortunately. It is now yeah. for,
0: sure, for sure but I'm not, I don't know, because of the work that I'm about to do academically, I, I don't know if I'm going to commit myself to having to play, you know, house yeah. mom, because somebody comes on, people get their feelings hurt and stuff, yeah. and, but, but that's a possibility that we're yeah. going to do that.
1: But always, if, if we'll, we'll set it up where if, you, if any of our listeners have a desire to communicate with us directly, either by uh, relaying to us a personal experience that they've had, or maybe they're sitting on some evidence they would like considered. Right. I mean, we will definitely provide a mechanism for them to do so.
0: Well, it's, no, we, we've got it in place on the website. You can hit Excellent. the form. Uh, if you want it uh, to go to Steve, all you have to do is just say uh, in the subject line, Attention Steve, mm-hmm. and I promise it will get right to Steve probably mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. minutes or perhaps hours at mm-hmm. least yeah. the same day that you email it. And same thing for me. In mm-hmm. fact, I threw up a Gmail adre- uh, account for mm-hmm. just general purposes. Mm-hmm. And but <clears throat> either way, you know we appreciate you guys, and we appreciate the positive uh, comments. We don't care about the negative ones. <laughs> you know whatever. <laughs> you know people gonna hate. Haters gonna hate, as they say. Uh, next week we're going to uh, deal with something. We're getting off of Bigfoot. We're gonna get into something that I've been. Doing, which is an ongoing sort of little project. Uh, Steve, uh, Steve does some uh, picking. I think mm-hmm. is what they call it.
1: Yeah, I'm in the. I dab. Let's just say right now, I dabble in the antiques and collectibles business.
0: Okay. And Steve found a little silver hand mirror, which is reportedly or was allegedly at the time that he got it haunted. Well, I just couldn't stand it. Just to be honest with you. It's just. When he said that, it was like, well, you know, I don't. If Steve charges me thirty bucks for it, I'm just going to have to, I'm going to have to evaluate whether or not, you mm. know, there's something going on mm. with this mirror. <clears throat> and sure enough, in uh, the next week, we're going to talk about it. But yes, I have had it under evaluation yeah. at my house, and, uh, <laughs> you know, fortunately, Dr. Lynn's a good sport and she put, she puts up with me. Uh-huh. But you know, she actually worked into uh, a couple of things. Uh, a couple of incidents we're going to talk about uh, that are involved in the mirror and, th- and the dogs as well. The dogs okay. have uh, definitely had some some curious reactions at uh, different various times uh-huh. of the night. So anyway, tune in next week and we're going to talk about the, the case of the haunted hand mirror. Ooh. Ooh. That sounds intriguing. All right, well, thank you guys, I hope you have a wonderful day, and uh, tune in next week. We'll see you then.
1: Take care.